And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, this is February 27th, 58th day of the year. Only 307 days remain to this year's over with. And holidays and observances, which y'all asked me to do. National Pokemon Day. National Kahlua Day. The Big Breakfast Day. International Polar Bear Day. Adopt One Today. National Strawberry Day. World NGO Day. No-Brainer Day. That's uh, done in honor of Congress. Jewish Book Week. Cornish Pastry Week. Peace Corps Week. Birth Dates. Kate Mara. Elizabeth Taylor, John Steinbeck. I haven't heard anything from Steinbeck lately. Wonder how he's doing. National Black History Month, Can Food Month, National Snack Food Month, National Children's Dental Health Month, Harley Quinn Month, National Embroidery Month, National Grapefruit Month, National Women Inventors Month, Great American Pie Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month. American Heart Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Family Fun Month, National Bird Feeding Month, National Hot Breakfast Month, National Library Lovers Month, Low Vision Awareness Month, National Fasting February, and North American Inclusion Month. Well, in looking at the news, the... uh, Ukrainians say they, since this war has been going on, they've lost 31,000 uh, casualties. The Russians have lost many, many more. In fact, they've had entire armies uh, either surrender or be destroyed. be interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, in 380 A.D., the Edict of Thessalonica, Emperor Diodosius I and his co-emperors, Gratian and Valentinian II, declared their Wish it all Roman citizens to avert to Nicene Christianity. I think our leaders are contemplating something along those lines. 425, University of Constantinople is founded by Emperor Theodosius II at the urging of his wife, Elia Eudocia. 907, Abaohi, a chieftain of the Yalla tribe, is named the Kagan of the Ketans. That means he's the big kahuna. 1560, the Treaty of Berwick is signed by England and the lords of the Congregation of Scotland, establishing the terms in which English armed forces would be permitted in Scotland in order to expel occupying French troops. 1594, Henry IV is crowned King of France. 1617, Sweden and the Tsardom of Russia signed the Treaty of Stobovo, ending the Ingrian War and shutting Russia out of the Baltic Sea. Uh, 1626, Yan Konghuan is appointed governor of Liaodong after leading the Chinese into a great victory against the Manchurians under Nurhashi. 1776, American Revolutionary War. Battle of Moore's Creek Bridge in North Carolina breaks up a loyalist militia. 1782, American Revolutionary War. 
House of Commons of Great Britain votes against further war in America. In other words, they threw in the towel. 1801, pursuant to the District of Columbia uh, Organic Act of 1801, Washington, D.C. is placed under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Congress. What a mess that became. 1809, action of 27 February 1809, Captain Bernard de Bellevue captures ACMS Proserpine. These names. 1812, Argentine War of Independence. Manuel Belgrano raises the flag of Argentina in the city of Rosario for the first time. 1812, poet Lord Byron gives his first address as a member of the House of Lords in defense of Luddite violence against industrialism in his home county of Nottinghamshire. 1844, Dominican Republic gains independence from Haiti. 1860, Abraham Lincoln makes a speech at Cooper Union in the city of New York, largely responsible for his election to the presidency. 1864, American Civil War. First northern prisoners arrive at the Confederate prison at Andersonville, Georgia. 1870, the current flag of Japan is first adopted as the national flag for Japanese merchant ships. 1881, the First Boer War, Battle of Mahuba Hill takes place. 1898, King George I of Greece survives an assassination attempt. 1900, the Second Boer War, South Africa, British military leaders receive an unconditional notice of surrender from Boer General Piet Kronhey at the Battle of Paardeburg. Hmm. 1900, the British Labor Party is founded. 1900, the football club Baird München is founded. 1902, Second Boer War. Australian soldiers Harry, Breaker Morant, and Peter Hancock are executed in Pretoria for after being convicted of war crimes. 1916, Ocean Liner SS Mallorca strikes a mine near uh, Dover and sinks with the loss of 155 uh, people. 1921, International Working Union of Socialist Parties is founded in Vienna. You know, the theory of socialism and even of communism in a perfect world would make sense. Everybody has the same. But we don't have a perfect world. We'll never have a perfect world. And within, I'd say, 10 years, the leaders of these various parties are the 1% and everybody else is down at the bottom. That's just the nature of the of the beast, so to speak. 1922, a challenge to the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution allowing women the right to vote is rebuffed by the Supreme Court of the U.S. in Lesser v. Garnett. 1932, the Mansala Rebellion begins the members of the far-right Lapua movement start shooting at the Social Democrats event in uh, Matsala, Finland. 1933, Reichstag fire, Germany's parliament building in Berlin, the Reichstag. I set on fire. Marinus van der Lubbe, young Dutch communist, claims responsibility. Uh, there are those that say that he was forced to claim it. 1939, U.S. labor law. U.S. Supreme Court rules in NLRB versus Fan Steel Metallurgical Corp. that the National Labor Relations Board has no authority 
to force an employer to rehire workers who engage in sit-down strikes. 1940, Martin Kamen and Sam Rubin discover carbon-14. 1942, World War II, during the Battle of the Java Sea, an Allied strike force is defeated by a Japanese task force in the Java Sea in the Dutch East Indies. 1943, the Smith Mine No. 3 in Bear Creek, Montana explodes, kills 74. Also in 1943, the Holocaust. In Berlin, the Gestapo arrests 1,800 Jewish men with German wives, leading to the Rosenstrasse protest. 1951, the 22nd Amendment to the U.S. Constitution limiting presidents to two terms is ratified. And in some instances, it should only be one term. And in others, no terms. 1961, the first Congress of the Spanish Trade Union Organization is inaugurated. 1962, Vietnam War. Two dissident Republic of Vietnam Air Force pilots bombed the Independence Palace in Saigon in a failed attempt to assassinate South Vietnamese President Ngo Dinh Diem, <coughs> which makes about as much sense as the Air Force uh, um, member who just set himself on fire to uh, protest what's going on in the Middle East. Makes no sense whatsoever. One of the most stupid things he could have done. After the fire's put out and all the ashes swept up, who's going to remember or care what he did? 1963, the Dominican Republic receives its first democratically elected president, Juan Bosch, since the end of the dictatorship led by Rafael Trujillo. 1964, the government of Italy asked for help to keep the leaning tower of Pisa from toppling over. Um, they should have people in uh, waves run up and hold it up, which makes as much sense as anything else. The ground is giving way. 1971, doctors in the first Dutch abortion clinic, the Wilderhaus in Arnheim, start performing artificially induced abortions. 1973, the American Indian Movement occupies Wounded Knee in protest of the federal government. 1976, the former Spanish territory of Western Sahara, under the auspices of the Polisario Front, declares independence as the Sharali Arab Democratic Republic. And, of course, that was highly successful. 1988, Sumgat Pogrom, the Armenian community in Sumgat, Azerbaijan, is targeted in the violent pogrom. 1991, Gulf War, President George H.W. Bush announces the Kuwait, the Kuwait, one more time, Kuwait is liberated. 2001, Logan Air Flight 670A crashes while attempting to make a water landing in the Firth of Forth in Scotland. 2002, Ryanair Flight 296 catches fire at London, stands Stansted Airport, causing minor injuries. 2002, Ghadra train burning. A Muslim mob tortures a train returning from Ayodhya, killing 59 Hindu pilgrims. All in the name of religion. 2004, bombing of the super ferry by Abu Sayyaf in the Philippines. Worst terrorist attack kills more than 100 passengers. 2004, Shoko. 
Asahara, the leader of the Japanese doomsday cult, Um Shinriko, was sentenced to death for masturbating the 1995 Tokyo subway sarin attack. 2007, Chinese stock bubble of 2007. The Shanghai Stock Exchange falls 9%. Largest daily fall in 10 years, following speculation about a crackdown on illegal share offerings and trading. And, of course, fears about accelerating inflation. 2008, Jamaa Islamaya, terrorist Mas Salamat Kastari, escapes from a detention center in Singapore, hiding in Johar, Malaysia, until he was recaptured a year later. 2010, an earthquake measuring 8.8 on the moment magnitude scale strikes central parts of Chile, leaving over 500 victims and thousands injured. Quake triggers a tsunami that strikes Hawaii shortly after that. Surf's up. 2013, a shooting takes place at a factory in Menzenau, Switzerland, in which five people, including a perpetrator, are killed and five others are injured. Uh, 2015, Russian politician Boris Nemtsov is assassinated in Moscow while out walking with his girlfriend. That will certainly uh, dampen the mood. And in 2019, Pakistan Air Force JF-17 Thunder downs Italian, uh, Indian pilot Abhinandan Vartaman's MiG-21 in an aerial dogfight and captures him after conducting airstrikes in uh, Jammu and Kashmir. Well, some folks don't know just when to um, let peace break out. And we've, we've talked about so many off-the-wall things. There have been oh, hundreds of stories of... Um, Unsolved mysteries and lost treasures, and we try to talk about those. Now, keep in mind that, um, in spite of how bad things might get in the financial world, there are numerous and possibly valuable riches. Beneath our feet, waiting to be picked up. And there's nothing more exciting than the prospect of finding buried treasure. I've done, oh, me and my metal detector, we we put in a lot of miles before I got to the point I couldn't do it. And I found a lot of unbelievable things. From beaches to deserts, even in a jungle, I was running around with a metal detector. You know, every time a sunken ship's located or a box of Viking coins discovered, another ancient chapter in the history of the human race opens up and eventually closes. But there's some treasures that have stayed lost to history. And these, of course, excite the the adventurous minds. We're going to talk about um, a number 
of hidden treasures in this particular segment, including a doomed 1715 Spanish treasure fleet that sank off the coast of Florida. The entire fleet. I've got a few coins from that little um, escapade. Uh, and of course, let's not forget uh, the Copper Scroll, which promises 160 tons of gold bars, coins, and silver scattered throughout 60 locations in the, the Middle East. King Alaric's tomb, where his body supposedly rests with 25 tons of gold and silver, precious stones, ancient artifacts, and relics. And the enormous great bell of Damazidi, which has been sitting on the bottom of the Yangon River for the past 400 years. Somewhere in the Yangon River. Well, some of these treasures, of course, carry with them curses, like the the treasure said to be hidden beneath Oak Island. According to legend, seven men have to die before their curse can be lifted. To date, six have died trying to obtain it, so one more's got to go. You know, treasure hunting is... Well, it can be fun and exciting. It's not for the faint of heart. And as great as the rewards could possibly be, the the risk may be even greater. A little greater. Well, let's start out talking about the, the Dead Sea's Copper Scroll. Now, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls are a remarkable collection of 900 first century manuscripts discovered in the 11 caves in Qumran in the Judean desert. Included among them is the distinct copper scroll. Now discovered by archaeologists uh, in 1952 and today on display at the Jordan Museum in uh, Amman, this particular document's noteworthy for a few reasons. First of all, in contrast to the leather, papyrus, and material used for the other Dead Sea Scrolls, the Copper Scroll was written on a unique medium made of copper alloyed with uh, about 1% of 10. And unlike the others, it contained an actual treasure map within its text, cataloging 64 different caches of valuable items. It includes a total amount of gold and silver measured in tons, spread across 57 locations throughout the Holy Land. That's uh, as reported by the Messianic Bible Project. Now, the Copper Scrolls script, style, author, language, and genre are also diverge significantly from the other scrolls, according to the uh, archaeological publication Ancient Origins, suggesting it was likely deposited in the cave at a different time from the rest of the ancient text. Dating shows it likely was stored there sometime between 25 and 100 A.D., <clears throat> Now, extensive treasure hunters, uh, treasure hunts have been uh, conducted in search of the Copper Scrolls' promised riches. None have yet led to anything worth reporting. That means more than $3 billion of riches is sitting undiscovered somewhere in the Middle East. That's according to a tally by the online science publication Interesting Engineering. It's waiting for a I guess we could say a real-life Indiana Jones to make the historic find. And then he can retire to Dubai with all the other uh, billionaires uh, in the Middle East. Let's talk about the Visigoth king, Alaric. 
it's said the, the grave and hoard that he amassed vanished under water. It was August 24th in the year 410. A world-altering event occurred that would come to be known as the Sack of Rome. Visigoth King Alaric led his loyal and determined army of thousands through the streets of Rome, which was the seat of European civilization, ransacked that ancient city for three consecutive days, robbed it of its silver, gold, and any other valuable possessions that could be found. And this event's been recognized as one of the most impactful in world history. For the first time in 800 years, the Eternal City, as it's called, had fallen. That's according to historian Michael East, and soon Europe would plunge into the Dark Ages. Alaric didn't get a chance to enjoy his winnings. He died only a few months later from what appears to have been malaria. His people deeply respected Alaric, and upon his death, buried him in a secret tomb under the bed of the Basinto River. According to legend, the river's water was diverted by slaves, and they dug his grave, and his people buried him there along with all his treasure. Then they removed the dam, allowing the water to rush back in, covering up his grave. And to ensure that none of the slaves uh, divulged the secret location of his tomb, each of them was executed. Throughout history, there have been scores of treasure seekers hoping to find Alaric's final resting place. Nobody succeeded yet. Adolf Hitler and Heinrich Himmler supposedly used Nazi resources to try to locate the treasure. That's according to Ancient Origins. And adventurer and author Alexandra Dumas, who's known for such novels as The Count of Monte Cristo and The Three Musketeers. But unfortunately, none of them had any success. Now, ground penetrating radar might be beneficial in a treasure hunt like that, but then you got to deal with the river. Well, let's talk about the heirloom seal of the realm, the ancient symbol of Chinese power. The heirloom seal of the realm, created in 221 B.C. for China's first emperor, Quan Shai Huang, was a precious seal or stamp made out of jade. And seals held great importance as they uh, provided rulers with power and authority, serving as a way to prove authenticity for documentation. Legend has it that a man named Blan he originally found the jade stone that was used to carve the heirloom seal of the realm on Mount Chu, but lost both of his feet after the rulers of Chu at the first didn't believe it was uh, high quality when he presented it to him. In fact, they thought they'd been handed a simple rock and didn't bother to polish it. Well, after China's first renowned seal was carved, it was handed down from one emperor to another and was held in high regard among Chinese successive empires. But the trail of the Jade Seal eventually went cold during the period of the Five Dynasties and Ten Kingdoms, as between 907 and 960 A.D. Speculation circulated as to what might have happened to it, including that it may have been destroyed in the fire that Tang Emperor Li Chu set to kill himself and his family, as according to historic mysteries. This is unlikely since Jade doesn't melt or break apart from heat. Records are extremely sparse the closer we get to modern day and hadn't been any trace of this ancient relic for a lot of years. 
But despite his long absence, the seal continues to captivate historians and enthusiasts who hope for its eventual rediscovery. It emphasizes the incredible significance it holds for Chinese history. He who found that can probably name his own price for it, and the Chinese would happily pay it. Well, another man-made creation that has excited a lot of uh, interest are the the missing Fabergé eggs. It was a a Russian luxury tradition that ended with the Tsar. Peter Carl Fabergé has cemented his name in history as one of the most exceptional, renowned jewelers of all time. This was thanks to his breakthrough creations known as the Fabergé eggs. These intricate ovals uh, with surprise compartments inside, concealed antique trinkets, often replicating meaningful objects. And they were made from multicolored gold, silver, and platinum. Featured finely engraved patterns, and they were adorned with precious gems and diamonds. But their exceptional value came not necessarily from the materials themselves, but from the fact that each one was a one-of-a-kind invention with extraordinary craftsmanship. Now, it's known that Fabergé only created 69 of these eggs, of which 52 were commissioned imperial eggs that were sold to the Russian royal family to be given as Easter gifts from the czars to their beloved wives. 1885, Alexander III gave the first ever Fabergé egg to his wife, and in 1917, the final egg was presented to by his son, Nicholas II. Tradition then came to a screeching halt due to the Russian Revolution, which resulted in the fall of the Russian Empire and the alleged execution of the last Tsar, Nicholas II, and his family. Though there have been many stories about the fact that they were rescued and spirited out of the country. Now, despite the meticulous documentation and careful protection of the 52 imperial eggs, the whereabouts of only 46 of these precious artifacts have been verified. That leaves six that was supposedly either destroyed, stolen, or lost. However, information varies from source to source, so the actual number of missing Fabergé eggs could be as high as seven or eight. And, as you might guess, the mystery of these lost Fabergé eggs lives on, continuing to inspire the ongoing adventures of treasure hunters worldwide. One of those eggs could set an individual up for life. They would they'd be priceless. Well, our next treasure is actually one that could affect the entire basis of civilization. The Great Library of Alexandria the ultimate treasure trove of ancient knowledge met a very tragic and mysterious end. We don't really know who burned down the library. You know, the ancient world was home to uh, some of the most magnificent libraries and centers of learning ever built by man, including such acclaimed wonders as the influential House of Wisdom, the illustrious Golden Library of Ivan the Great, and, of course the iconic Library of Alexandria in Egypt. These monumental institutions not only house vast collections of knowledge, they also served as inspirational beacons for scholars, fostering intellectual development throughout history. But sadly, 
each also ultimately met a tragic end. In the ancient world, there was no greater source of uh, knowledge than the Library of Alexandria, located in Egypt's beautiful port city. Alexander the Great founded that city around uh, 331 B.C. And after his death in 323 B.C., his empire is left to Ptolemy I Soda, Macedonian general. Demetrius of Phalerium, an exiled uh, Athenian governor, scholar, and orator, is believed to have convinced Ptolemy I Soda to establish the Library of Alexandria about 295 B.C. The goal was to collect all the wisdom and knowledge of the world in one place to create a universal library. And it did that with remarkable success. Messengers were specifically dispatched to the edges of the known world to return with any and every text they could find, either the original or a copy, to add to the growing collection of great works in the library. The library of Alexandria was the largest in the world. It had an estimated two hundred to 700,000 scrolls. And these works came from Assyria, Greece, India, Persia, Egypt, as well as number of other countries, covering everything from astronomy and mathematics to philosophy and literature. Prominent historical authors we still read today, such as Aristotle, Homer, Plato, Socrates, Herodotus, had manuscripts housed there. It was truly an epic collection. But the library wasn't just a beautiful building for documents. It was a beacon of intellectual progress and inspiration. The finest minds of the Ancient world, including scientists, mathematicians, and poets, flocked to Alexandria from all the corners to, of the world to study, conduct research, and exchange ideas and knowledge. Unfortunately, it was not to last. Now, this incredible center of learning and true marvel of human achievement met a tragic fate that would become the stuff of legend for centuries to come. It's impossible to overstate the magnitude of its loss to humanity, resulting in significant gaps in our knowledge when it comes to ancient history. What makes the loss of the Library of Alexandria so tragic is not only the sheer number of works that were destroyed, but also the significance of the knowledge they contained. Now, many of the works that were lost represented the only preserved accounts of groundbreaking discoveries and ideas that would have shaped the course of human history. Now, the cause of its destruction is ultimately a mystery. Now, there are a number of theories, of course, but some are more likely than others. The primary one is that none other than the illustrious Julius Caesar burned the library down. Accidentally, according to some accounts, and others claim it was done on purpose. In 48 B.C., Julius Caesar was drawn into a heated conflict in Egypt between Cleopatra and her brother, Ptolemy Thirteenth. As Caesar, Caesar rallied to... Cleopatra's cause, he found himself under siege by Ptolemy's forces, both on land and water within the harbor. With his back to the wall, knowing his odds of success were slim, he devised a daring and extreme plan. He set his own ships on fire, and the resulting chaos turned the tide of the battle in Caesar's favor and secured his ultimate victory. But uh, the Greek uh, biographer Plutarch, upon Visiting Alexander wrote that Caesar was forced to repel the danger by using fire, which spread from the dockyards and destroyed the library. Well, whether this fire destroyed or only damaged part of the library is still debated to this day. 
Though the theory is that the library fell victims of the Arab conquest of Egypt in the 7th century, that's discussed in the biography of Yahweh al Nawi, an Alexandrian philologist, written by Egyptian scholar al Quifti. The orders allegedly came from Caliph Omar after he had taken over the city to use the manuscripts to feed the numerous furnaces that heated the baths of the city. Some sources claim the great library was already gone, at least partially diminished by the time of the Arab conquest. So this theory may not be um, definitive. Some even claim the Library of Alexandria never existed due to the lack of remnants found. An implausible idea given all the contemporary accounts of the place that uh, one... Uh, but one that may somehow be easier to believe than the intentional destruction of thousands of precious works we can never get back. According to uh, one account I read during the Arab conquest, the uh, order was given by the caliph to use the manuscripts to eat the baths. Somebody protested about the destruction of all that knowledge, and he said if it's in the Koran, it's superfluous. If it's not in the Koran, we don't need it which says to me uh, somebody was very short-sighted. Then we have the House of Wisdom. About the 8th century, during the Islamic Golden Age, a library known as the House of Wisdom was established by Caliph Harun al-Rashid. He began the collection by gathering various books and manuscripts and other objects from his father and grandfather. And from there, the assembled works seemed to multiply exponentially. The library held a vast collection of... Uh, Translated manuscripts and books covering diverse philosophical and medical and astronomical subjects that were considered crucial for the community, evolving into one of the most significant hubs of medieval wisdom. I mean, this wonder of ancient Baghdad was supposedly so large that an extension had to be built by his son, Al-Mamun. Very specialist, worked in the House of Wisdom, including scribes and researchers and scholars and translators and scientists and authors. Libraries reported to be exceptionally well organized, featuring uh, dedicated rooms for transcribers, bookbinders, librarians, and even an astronomical observatory. But, of course, nothing lasts forever. 1258, Mongol invaders devastated the institution, slaughtered the caliph's court, and Nearly wiped out his entire family, as well as killing the scholars and tossing all the books into the Tigris River. Legend has it that the river ran black and red for days after the ink and blood spilled from the destroyed books and the slaughtered scholars. Then we have the Golden Library in the 16th century. It was established by Russian ruler Ivan III, also known as Ivan the Great. Reportedly, the library housed literary works in Greek and Latin and Egyptian obtained from both Constantinople and Alexandria, along with Chinese texts and other written records. Its Russian repositories eventually handed down to Ivan's grandson, Ivan the Terrible. He was actually Ivan IV, Vesilievich, who may have expanded its collection. Documentation from his own era is uh, reportedly also housed there, but the exact number of books it held is unknown. It come to be widely known as the Golden Library, another name for it's the Lost Library of the Moscow Tsars. It was said to have somehow vanished into thin air. Rumors circulated before Ivan the Terrible's death, the library's contents were 
buried or hidden in a secret underground vault. And many people have searched for this precious lost works, but if any discoveries have been made, they have not been reported. And with the current ruler of Russia, certainly that is uh, a good thing. Now, there are some books in and of themselves so legendary we know they existed, even though they have since disappeared. Tragically, no human would ever again be able to read these great texts of the ancient world. And whether they simply vanished or were destroyed, all we have is scattered evidence of their existence. There are no copies available. Um, among these are the Maya codices. During the mid-16th century, Franciscan missionaries attempted to wipe out the Mayan religion by setting fire to most of their written records. As a result, only three or four Maya codices have survived to this day. Franciscan missionaries were known for being fanatical. And if it uh, wasn't what they believed was right, it was gone. We got Homer's Margites, or Margites. Considered to be the first influential comedy, this poem was written in about uh, 700 B.C. All the remains are fragments and the descriptions of others like Aristotle and Plato. According to Plato, uh, about the character Margites, uh, he knew many things, but all badly. Then we've got a work on spear making, and that's S P H E R E, not S P E A R. Archimedes, supposed uh, creator of the Antikythera mechanism, had uh, supposedly written a book titled On Spear Making, outlining his advanced formulas, theories, and designs. It's even rumored to include blueprints for the machine. Sadly, this particular book was lost in 212 B.C. during the Punic Wars. Wars have set back civilization so many times. If not for these wars, who knows where it would be today. All righty. Well, let's talk about a hoard of Inca gold, the lost Langanati's treasure. It's said to be hidden in the Langanati's mountains of Ecuador. It's a 16th century legend of the lost Inca gold, shrouded in a veil of death and greed. According to the legend, the hoard is hidden deep in the remote Langanati's mountains of central Ecuador. Situated between the Andes and the Amazon, it's rumored that somewhere in these unforgiving mountains lies a magnificent Inca, Inca treasure the Spanish conquistadors never discovered. According to National Geographic, the legend tells of half-brothers, Atahuapa, an Incan king, and Huascar, who sparred over control of the Inca Empire. Atahualpa was captured by Spanish commander Francisco Pizarro, promised it release and be released in exchange for a room full of gold and another of silver. But after he got everything he could get, like a lot of roofers I know in this town, he went back on his word and had Atahualapa strangled before the largest portion of the ransom had been fully paid. The bulk of the treasure on its way under the care of Atahualapa's half-brother was instead hidden away in a remote mountain cave that was never revealed. Fifty years later, the treasure appears to have resurfaced, making Spaniard Jose Valverde rich beyond his income spouse's guidance through his income spouse's guidance uh, to the goal. 
before his passing and left written instructions on how to locate the treasure, known as the Doratero de Valverde, along with an alleged map made by Atanasio Guzman. According to his writings, Nova Scotian treasure hunter Barth Blake was the final person we know to discover the gold in 1886. He wrote in a letter, There are thousands of gold and silver pieces of Inca and Pre-Inca handicraft, most beautiful goldsmith works you're not able to imagine. I couldn't remove it alone, or could have thousands of men, but his companion on a journey, Lieutenant George Edwin Chapman, died on their way out, and Blake, who died mysteriously on a ship returning to Ecuador to collect the treasure. Thanks to that area's rugged terrain and rough weather, the lost treasure to the Anganates uh, hadn't been seen since. As I say, just one of these treasures, if you discovered it, would set you and your son and your grandson and up for life. Well, how about the great bell of Damazidi? Yeah, it's interesting. A Portuguese warlord uh, lost the largest bell ever made. The legend has it the largest bell ever crafted sits forgotten underwater where Myanmar's Bago and Gangon rivers intersect. In the late 15th century, King Damazidi, once a Buddhist monk, ordered the creation of the great bell of Damazidi, made of bronze, along with copper, gold, and silver, and weighing nearly 300 tons. The bell is meant to grace the Swedagon Pagoda, considered to be Myanmar's most sacred Buddhist site, according to the BBC. And it did, at least until 1608, when Felipe de Brito de Nicota, a Portuguese warlord who was conquering the region, planned a uh, heist to take the sacred bell for himself, He's going to melt it down and use its materials to make cannons for his ships. Unfortunately, he made some serious miscalculations. After his men rolled it down the hill, they strapped this enormous bell to a raft across the Bazundong Creek to reach uh, Siriam, now Tanalin. Although the raft survived the first leg of the journey after it was loaded to Lashed to the side of Brito's ship, it proved too unstable to support the weight of this massive bell, and it sank along with its cargo, and the Brito ship went down too. After Burmese forces under King Anuk Perlun uh, recaptured the area in September 1613, the Brito, for his troubles, executed by being impaled on a wooden stake. Many attempts have been made in recent decades to locate and retrieve the bell, but due to strong river currents and deep mud in the river bottom and other shipwrecks and ongoing political unrest in Myanmar, there's been no progress. But can you imagine the value of this bell? Even just a portion of the bell would make you wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. Well... Let's talk about the ghost of the Esperanza. The legend about the Spanish ship Esperanza is one of the most famous tales of lost treasure in the world. Heavy with gold and silver bullion plundered from Incan temples, the ship and its crew of pirates uh, set sail from Peru's Caleo Harbor in New Year's Day, 1816. Unfortunately, the Esperanza became caught up in a vicious storm, breaking its mask and springing a leak. Compound in misfortune, Esperanza was later attacked by pirates. 
leading to a fierce sea battle that culminated in the Esperanza's defeat, and the surviving crew was then taken aboard the pirate ship along with all their treasure. After spending 43 days navigating the treacherous seas, the sailors' endurance was further tested when a vicious gale hit the pirate ship and ran it aground on a reef. The crew was barely able to make it to a nearby small ring-shaped island now known as Palmyra Atoll. They reportedly transported a treasure to land and buried it below the sand and got to work building a new ship. Well, 10 out of the 90 survivors decided to remain behind when the rest set sail. Each one that set sail took a small portion of the treasure with them. And to this day, their fate remains unknown. The ship and its crew vanished without a trace. The survivors waited a full year for rescue before constructing a second ship, but again, fate intervened and left behind only one survivor, James Hines. Bedridden for 30 days, he wrote his tale of 1.5 million Spanish gold pesos and equal amount of silver as he died. According to reports, the Esperanza was wrecked in the heart of a three-mile reef with hillocks of land one mile east. It's believed the nearest uh, islet successful from the western edge would have been Paradise and Home Island, but to this day the treasure has never been found. Which raises the question, was the Esperanza even real? And if it was, its treasure likely remains buried in uh, the Palmyra Sands. Can you imagine 1.5 million Spanish gold pesos, what that would be worth today? That's more than some countries have in their treasuries. Now let's talk about the, the treasure fleet of 1715. That's something out of a storybook. The tale of the second 1715 treasure fleet comprised of 11 Spanish ships transporting huge quantities of gold, silver, and other precious artifacts and jewelry from Havana, Cuba to Spain is packed with adventure. July 31st, 1715, the Spanish fleet found itself at the mercy of a raging hurricane off the Florida coast. The vessels were tossed around like toys by the relentless winds and waves each one of them ultimately sinking beneath the water, taking more than a thousand lives and untold millions of dollars of worth of precious cargo down with it. And while the Spanish, and of course, most likely pirates, are able to salvage a small portion of the treasure, the, the vast majority remain undisturbed beneath the ocean surface for over 200 years. But modern-day treasure hunters have had better luck in their quest for the fleet's sunken riches. Kip Wagner a treasure hunter, uh, found enough to anchor a National Geographic ar article and exhibit in 1965, and it's some of the coins he found that I wound up with. One particular ship in the fleet, the Urca de Lima, in 1987 became the first wreck included in the Florida Underwater Archaeological Preserves. And Eric Smith and his family struck gold in 2015 while working for 1715 Fleet Queen's Jewels, a Florida-based salvage company that had him been granted the exclusive rights to explore the wrecks of the 1715 treasure fleet. And their discovery was no small feat, let me tell you. At the site of Ver off Vero Beach, known as the Corrigan's Wreck, they uncovered $4.5 million worth of treasure. That was 51 gold coins, 40 feet of gold chain, and a single coin so valuable it was named the Tricentennial Royal, creating significantly... Uh, 
created specifically for uh, King Philip V of Spain and alone worth $500,000. And a lot of experts believe these finds are just scratching the surface. One coin, $500,000. Well, one of the most famous treasure locations in the world is Oak Island, which is said to have a curse. Scattered ancient artifacts, booby traps, a promised pit of buried treasure, and multiple deaths. I mean, this story even involves Shakespeare and the Knights Templar. Nova Scotia's tiny Oak Island has a colorful past that features fascinating historical connections and a promise of untold wealth that's kept treasure hunters coming back for centuries. Now, the legend behind how the island's treasure found its way there, if it ever existed at all, begins with a 17th century conspiracy to dethrone the British monarch. According to Hammerson Peters, history buff and author of three books on Oak Island, King James II, a Catholic, was deeply unpopular among the majority uh, Protestant populace when he ascended the throne in 1685. Various aristocrats and political leaders thought to, sought to overthrow him, and one adversary went all the way to Holland and persuaded uh, Protestant King William III of the Netherlands to unite with the English and depose James II. But of course, that meant war, and wars required funding, which King William III sadly lacked. And this is where William Phipps comes into the story. He was a prosperous explorer whose expeditions had, uh, were financed by the English. And during one of these voyages, he and his team stumbled upon a Spanish shipwreck and, uh, holding a fortune, uh, reportedly worth today about $4 million. When he went back to England, Phipps was convinced by dissident Protestants to lead an even larger team back to the same treasure site, tending to collect more treasure to support the planned invasion of England. Well, following the second looting of the wrecked ship, the crew returned to the Netherlands with enough silver coins to finance the invasion that successfully overthrew King James II in 1688. According to legend, Phipps and his crew then buried the remaining treasure on Oak Island to keep it safe. And the pit they dug, now famously known as the Money Pits, where the treasure supposedly still sits today. Well, as Fitzmen dug this pit, according to the story, an underground cavern collapsed, causing the pit to flood and leaving the treasure inaccessible. And Phipps reportedly sealed the Money Pit and reported the issue to England. Well, despite the efforts of several secret engineering squads on the island, the treasure couldn't be retrieved. By 1750, the Spanish crown resorted to booby-trapping the island with shafts and flood tunnels, which are reportedly still being identified by modern-day explorers. 1795, three young boys stumbled upon a curious depression in the ground on Oak Island, and they decided to dig, coming across first a number of buried logs indicating some sort of support structure, and then a sizable stone, which has unfortunately since gone missing. It was adorned with strange coded symbols, which deciphered reportedly read 40 feet below 2 million pounds lie buried. Well, unless the code was deferring 2 million pounds of mud, this treasure is yet to be found, leading many to wonder if it ever really existed or for playing a generational game of broken telephone.
A different origin story speculates the hidden treasure on Oak Island originally belonged to Captain William Kidd, a Scottish privateer and pirate from the 1690s who supposedly buried a massive treasure worth millions during one of his voyages. And still other uh, sources say it didn't just gold and silver buried there, uh, but that the money pit also contains one or more of um, the following items. Shakespeare's original manuscripts, the Holy Grail, the Ark of the Covenant, a Viking ship, Marie Antoinette's jewels, the treasure of the Freemason Society, the treasure secretly carried to the island by the Knights Templar. Well, legend has it Oak Island also was uh, ruled by a prophecy which states that seven people have to die before the island gives up its treasure. Now, the town they today is six as a result of various accidents have occurred over the 200 years plus that this mystery's gone on. Well, whispers of the death of a seventh individual in 2014. Matt Chisholm, the former producer of the Oak, Curse of Oak Island TV series, it would be that seventh one. Story goes, after getting a tip about a whole Masonic map of Oak Island, he vanished a few hours later, adding to the island's tra- trail of victims claimed in the quest for its treasure. But it's unknown as if, his, if his death is factor in mere speculation. I mean, the reality may be much different. I mean, Chisholm could be alive and well, just retired from the treasure hunting game. Well, Oak Island does seem to have real historic importance, and several artifacts have been recovered there. But the bounty of treasure, allegedly buried deep in the money pit, contains a big conspicuous question mark. Despite hundreds of years of nonstop digging involving an endless series of backers and heavy equipment, no such treasure has been found. There's been a busload of hopeful treasure seekers pursuing uh, wealth and fame and their own piece of history, but that doesn't mean it's real. Well, there have been discoveries made on Oak Island. History Channel reality TV show The Curse of Oak Island chronicles the adventures of brothers Rick and Marty Legina, along with a team of experts and researchers in their quest to uncover the treasure and solve the mystery. The brothers and their team have invested millions of dollars in the pursuit, and each episode shows their latest finds and the obstacles they face. So far, they've found several intriguing items on the island, uh, several 17th century coins, including a Spanish Maravedas copper coin engraved with the number 8, a Knights Templar coin featuring a cross, a few 18th century coins, two 17th century King Charles II Britannia coins, Several brooches, including one with a hand-cut uh, rotolite garnet set in silver, dated to sometime between during the 15 to 1600s. A decorative keyhole plate, top portion of a Roman javelin, possibly used around the 1st century B.C. to the 6th century A.D. French military cap badge, typically found on a 1700s uh, French grenadier's hat. 1730 silver ring and a copper ring. Hand-painted pottery fragments, a 17th century military button, 13th century small lead cross, a name tag possibly belonging to Samuel Ball, an escaped slave born 1764-1765, and a hinge that could have come from a treasure chest. All that having been said, the treasure's out there, just waiting to be found. Well, we'll be talking tomorrow about more topics. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.